0: This podcast is made possible by listener support on Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Sam Near Death Experiences. Why should I be frightened of dying? There's you no know, reason for it. You to go sometime. Hello, welcome to the Sam Reed's Near Death Experiences podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Um, Today we have a uh, near-death experience, which I thought was quite uh, exceptional and quite interesting and fascinating and uh, really a joy to to read. Um, This is a somewhat longer one. This is uh, coming from a a man named William. And when William was 15, back in 1978, he had a motorcycle accident. And he had a near-death experience. And it this near-death experience is a very kind of, uh, I don't know, dr- dramatic kind of arc to it, a very kind of narrative structure, a journey to heaven to meet God. Um, and so I found that really, really fascinating and um, really wanted to share it with you all. Um, so this, as always, is coming from the uh, NDERF dot org website near death experience research foundation um website and uh if you like listening to these i highly encourage you to go check it out um they have lots of different stories on there and and also after each of these stories they have a list of questions that the experiencer um kind of answers and so if you were intrigued by this story there and you want some more kind of insights of, of um, William's experience, you can go um, uh, read those, the answers to the questions, and I will place a link uh, in the description of, of um, this episode. So I'm, I'm going to keep it short today uh, with the intro because it's, it's kind of on the longer side, so um, we'll just dive right into it. This is William's Near-Death Experience. I lived in a very small community in a rural area where everyone knows everyone else. In the summer of 1978, I was 15 years old. A few days prior to this, there had been rain in the area. I was riding a motorcycle on a practice motocross track and heading towards a double jump that I had been over hundreds of times in the past. For some unknown reason, That day I had decided I was going to hit these jumps faster than I ever had before. I wanted to jump over the second jump from the first jump. On approach to the jumps, I sped up to approximately 70 miles an hour. A voice told me that I must slow down. I ignored the voice and sped up even more. This was not the first time I had heard this voice. This voice is special for me and I continue to hear it today. I grew up in an extremely violent and abusive home. Whenever I had been beaten, whipped, or locked up, there was always a voice present to comfort me and talk to me. I hear this voice when I am troubled, in need, or there is an important event about to occur. Don't get me wrong, I am not looking for sympathy here. I thought that every child had the same home life that I did So I considered myself as normal. This voice or presence has not only comforted me, but also warned me of occurrences or dangers that were about to happen. I never thought much about it until I grew older because I thought everyone had that voice or presence around them. Back to the accident. As I said, I ignored the voice. I sped up on approach to the jump instead of slowing down. I was determined to jump farther than ever before. An instant before I hit the jump, I saw a rut at the top of the jump. The rut caused me to lose control. The front of the motorcycle went nose down and the back went sideways in midair. I fell short of clearing the second jump. I was not able to regain control of the bike before landing. I landed head first on the side of the second jump. And then went unconscious there were two guys who saw the accident they were behind me traveling at a much slower speed they both saw me hit the jump causing a big cloud of dust when i hit the ground they saw me about five feet above the dust in an upside down position and flying through the air then i disappeared as i fell back into the cloud of dust They said that they were afraid to go up to me, so they stopped about 50 yards away from me. They watched for a couple of minutes and saw no movement coming from me. They had a discussion between themselves and decided to come closer. They stopped about 15 feet from me, got off their motorcycles, and stood there looking at me, afraid to come closer. They were afraid I was dead because they could not see any movement or breathing from me. After a few words between them, one of them got even closer and still saw no movement or signs of life from me. All of a sudden, he saw me take a very deep breath and slowly open my eyes. They later told me that this took about five minutes or so total from the time I wrecked until they saw me take a breath. I was not wearing a helmet that day because I was just out playing on the motorcycle. After all, it was not a race or anything. When I saw the ground rushing up at me and hit head first, everything went black for a moment. I could kind of hear and feel my heart beating for a moment. Then I opened my eyes and stood up. To my shock, I was standing there looking at myself, lying there all twisted up on the ground. I then heard that familiar voice, the one I had always heard behind me say the words, Hurry, we must go. I immediately turned around. For the first time, I saw the individual that the voice had always came from. This individual can only be described as what must be an angel. This angel was about the size of a five or six-year-old girl, but she was very strong and very firm and very authoritative. I replied to her in shock, What do you mean we must go? Go where? She said in an anxious tone, Hurry, we must go. The Dark Ones are coming. She then pointed to the west of where we were. About fifty feet away and approaching very quickly were three obviously evil, tormented, dark spirits coming towards me who wanted to take me with them. I had a sense that they were sent by Satan or some other dark force to capture my spirit and claim it for him. They looked like they were tangled together and rolling around each other in a swirling motion with a dark cloud surrounding them that was floating just above the ground. They were dressed in black robes and had pale and hollow faces with only sockets for eyes. I also sensed that one of them represented pain and suffering. One of them seemed to be lost and trapped in despair, and the third was just evil and bent on leading the others to capture me. He was clearly in charge of the other two and had a higher stature. I looked up at the angel who was floating just above my head as she extended her arm for me to hold on to her. She was dressed in a robe-like garment and what looked like a golden crown on her head. As we grabbed each other's wrist, she began flying upward. I looked down and saw the two guys who witnessed my wreck. I also saw the dark ones gathered around my body, and they were very angry and distraught that they had failed to get me. As the angel and I went upward, I watched the earth getting smaller and smaller. We then went into outer space and accelerated faster and faster until the Earth disappeared. We passed by many, many stars and planets so quickly that they were like a blur. I began to look upward towards the direction we were traveling. This was very difficult because of the speed which we were traveling, and it required all the strength I had in my neck to raise my head upwards. The stars and planets were going by so fast that the light reflected off of the stars and planets made it appear as though we were going through a tunnel of light. Finally, we arrived at a place that was like we had passed through a threshold or barrier to reach it. It was like a light, golden, clouded place that was suspended in space and illuminated with a soft, comfortable light. The feeling I got there was so wonderful. There was no hot or cold No pain or discomfort, no hunger or thirst, and no want or need for anything. I had a feeling of the most overwhelming love that seemed to originate, radiate out, and saturate the whole place. This place was as perfect as you can ever imagine. I believe this place was heaven. The angel lifted me up to the edge of it where I had to grab onto and pull myself up. The angel said, I have to go, there are others. This terrified me because I felt alone in this strange place. I looked over to my right, and there were two individuals standing at a podium with a book on it. The book would measure closed about two feet tall, 18 inches wide, and two inches thick. The two at the podium seemed to know me, And at the time I knew them I was told later in this experience that I could not go back knowing what I know about things so later I had a lot of the details of my experience taken from my memory before I was sent back one of the men stood looking over the shoulder of the one in front of him it was like he was supervising or advising the one in front the man in front looked at me and asked why are you here I looked up at him with fear and sorrow. I asked in a trembling voice, What do you mean why am I here? Do you mean I am supposed to go down there? As I was looking down and suggesting the place the Dark Ones wanted to take me or Hell was where they were suggesting I should be. I must tell you that we did not speak in words during this whole experience, but it was a subliminal language which I could understand and speak. For instance, I heard one word and an image projected into my mind, and instantly I had a complete understanding of the subject. On earth it could possibly have taken hundreds of words for me to understand what was being said. I refer to them or they because everyone seemed to be of the same opinion and conclusion on everything. There was no disagreement there. They both laughed and assured me. No, no, it is not yet your time. I replied, What do you mean it is not yet my time? They turned the book so I could see it, and they opened it up. I saw that there were three columns of names on each page of the book from top to bottom. The man in front pointed and scanned the page of the book they were referring to. They reiterated, It is not yet your time. Here is today's time, and you are not listed here. Then he flipped back farther in the book, where there was only about an eighth of an inch of pages left, and said, This is your time, as they pointed at my name in the book. I had many thoughts at that time that I was supposed to be in heaven close to the end of time when names were to be written in the book. Maybe it was not the end of time, but just the end of names in the book. I understood that I was loved, and I would be back. I told them, but I am here now, and that I wanted to stay. They replied, you must go back. You are part of God's plan, and if you stay here now, this is all there will be for you, as they pointed deeper in the place where I was. I replied, what do you mean this is all there will be? Do you mean there is a place better than this one? They replied, Depends on your works on earth, but we cannot send you back And I asked what do you mean? I am part of God's plan and I must go back and you cannot send me back They said we will take you to God. He will know what to do The two took me to a place where God was He was sitting in a higher place in heaven as They lifted me up towards him. I could see he was sitting Indian style with his legs crossed. He was dressed in some off-white-colored robes. God leaned over and put his hands down towards me, as you would a small child that you are about to pick up. He said, Come. I lifted my hands up to him. He took my hands in his, raised me up, and set me down in front of him. His hands were the largest, strongest, and toughest, yet softest, warmest and gentlest hands I was afraid to look at him he laughed and said you humans all have the same belief that you cannot look upon me your beliefs and your Bible are not completely correct or complete but they are the best you have and you must do the best you can with them he seemed to be very pleased with us I slowly looked up at him he was very large I would guess around 10 feet tall his hair and beard were a whitish gray and he had a very pleasant face i was almost breathless god put his hand on my head he was able to see everything and feel everything that i had done in my life he saw if i was sorry for the bad things i had done how i felt in my heart at the time i'd done things how i felt afterwards and whether or not i apologized or made the bad things right. He also saw all of the good I had done in my life and whether or not I was truly good or if I was doing good things to get something and how I truly felt at the time. He weighed the good and the bad in my life and said, yes, you are good. He then said, you are a part of my plan. He showed me a picture of myself as an older man with a boy I understood the boy was my son, who was pushing the wheelchair I was sitting in because my neck had been broken in the motorcycle accident I just had. I understood this to mean that I was paralyzed and that my son had to take care of me. I asked, where is the boy's mother, is she dead? He said, she has gone to the west. This was the future since I was only 15 years old at the time later i did marry and had a son with my first wife when i was 23 years old when my son was one and a half years old she divorced and left us and went to california never to come back god then told me you can stay but i want you to go back because you are part of my plan i asked what do you mean i am a part of your plan it was then shown what my part of god's plan was and how each of us affect all those around us. I was shown that there is a reaction to all of our interactions, like a domino effect of good or bad. I was made to understand that if I stayed there, that God would have to change millions of events in order to make his plan work because I would not be there to make it happen. I told God, I will go back for you if it is a part of your plan which I had a complete understanding of at the time. But if I go back, can you fix my neck? Not for me, but for my son, so that he does not have to take care of me? It is bad enough that his mother is gone. God agreed and said, you will not be allowed to remember and keep all of the knowledge you have gained here because mankind will not understand, nor can they know what my plan is for now. With that said and understood, God took me back to my body. It was almost instant in comparison to the journey to heaven with the angel. He placed me back in my body and was leaving when I realized he had not fixed my neck. I said, wait, what about my neck? God then came back and put his hand on the back of my neck. My neck began to crackle, pop and make noises as things were going back into place. The warmth of his hand on my neck was a healing type of warmth. God began to leave and I noticed that my neck was still not right. I said, wait, there is one more thing out of place. God said, that is to serve as a reminder so that you will never forget what has happened. God then went back to heaven. I began to wake up. Everything went black once again like it had before. I then began to see the light from the sun and I took the largest, deepest breath I have ever taken before or since. Life then came back into my body. I opened my eyes and the two guys who had witnessed my wreck jumped back as I woke up. One of them asked, Are you okay? We thought you were dead. I was in shock, of course. I was in a lot of pain from the bruising and tearing of muscles and tendons in my arm, shoulder, back, legs, and most of all from my neck. I asked them to help me up, and they did. I was unable to hold my head upright, so it kind of rested on my right shoulder. They stood my motorcycle up that was twisted and bent up. They helped me get back on it. I had to hold the right grip and run the throttle with my left hand since I could not lift my right arm. The handlebars were bent so badly that the right grip was directly centered in front of me. This helped me being able to hang on as the two guys push started the motorcycle with me on it since I could not kick start the motorcycle. I was able to go at a very slow speed and did not know if I could make it home or to the hospital. It just so happened that a friend of mine who lived about a quarter mile from the track was out in front of his house working on his car. I was able to idle up to where he was and just let my motorcycle fall over next to his car. He asked if I was all right. I replied, no, I just died and came back. I need to go to the hospital. He laughed and said, what? I told him again that I had just died went to heaven, and came back. We talked about it in detail later. He picked me up and set me in his car. He drove me to the hospital and carried me inside to the emergency entrance. The people at the hospital started asking me questions, some of which I answered, and some that I could not because I was thinking about all that had just happened. They called my parents, who came to the hospital and signed the papers so that a doctor would take care of me. They tried to x-ray my neck since it appeared to be the most severe injury I had. When the x-ray film was developed, they put it up on the screen so that the doctor could look at it. To their surprise, my neck was whited out on the x-ray. In other words, you could see my eye sockets and skull above my neck and a couple of vertebrae below my neck, but the area of my neck appeared white with no definition. They decided there was something wrong with the film, so they x-rayed me two more times. They looked under the x-ray table and examined their film, trying to figure out why my neck was whited out. I think it is because God touched me there, and his healing power somehow radiated energy, which washed out the x-ray film. The x-ray staff finally gave up and said that they did not think my neck was broken. My arm was torn up, and they x-rayed it successfully, but it was not broken. They did not have a sling for me, so the doctor taped my right arm to my left shoulder and sent me home. He said he would not give me a brace for my neck because he thought it would take longer to heal. I have shared this experience with very few people in my life. Those who know me believe me. Some of those who do not try to give me an explanation of what they think I imagined and some believe. I swear to you that this is the truth and this is what happened this was real i did not become a preacher or anything special in my life but i have been able to help a few people who have problems or were at a bottom point in their life when i am needed by others i seem to have the right words to help them at the time otherwise i am not much of a talker or a motivational type of person i am just plain me Okay, so that was William's Near-Death Experience. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Um, you know, it, it reminded me quite a bit of um, a story that we had read previously on a different episode, um, Jeffrey's Near-Death Experience. And I think, I think the reason it reminded me of that particular story is because um, both of them share kind of a very a strong narrative arc. Um, now, if you'll recall, back to Jeffrey's near-death experience, it was um, definitely darker and and had more uh, hellish and kind of torture elements and redemption. Um, but what I found interesting about reading William's near-death experience today was um, that it it definitely has these story elements these kind of uh uh chunks of of narrative grammar these these little uh, motifs and and um well i guess motifs would be the best way to describe it motifs of of common stories that we see around the world that are common to mythology and and our capacity for storytelling in general um and so I kind of wanted to dive into some of those and and try to see if we can wrap our heads around it and, and see kind of what it means because um, the fact that we have certain elements of, of storytelling popping up in uh, a near-death experience, which is probably the most intense, um, profound, subjective experience that someone can uh, go through, I think that's that's something that we can explore. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to figure anything out about it, but um, I thought it would be fun to talk about at least. Um, so starting out, he he talks about how he's always had this voice in the back of his head, kind of like a um, a conscience of, of some kind, a just a voice that whenever he was hurt or beat or, or um, in a bad place, the voice would be there to to cheer him up and, and encourage him, and um, he he talks about how he, he didn't think this was strange because you know he kind of thought he would, that was normal, um, but you know this is having that I don't know that uh, that well in in this case it turns out to be his his guardian angel and and that's a again a figure that we see um, th- uh, throughout stories, mythologies, um, worldwide, this, the divine kind of friend, the divine helper, the, um, well, in, in Jungian terms, it would be the anima archetype, um, being, representing a symbol, uh, that represents the, uh, the unconscious half, um, of a man, um, the feminine unconscious half of a man, um, or you could think about it in terms of a, a muse or, or, like I mentioned before, a, a conscience to, that speaks to him and helps him and guides him. Um, which is quite incredible, you know, for just as we, we start out. It's um, that he has this voice, he's had a rough kind of upbringing, and he has this voice that, that helps him. And from uh, ignoring this voice and this voice's warnings uh he gets into this terrible motorcycle accident um, and and this is this is where we we kind of we, we start out the whole experience which is very um it's very dramatic and i don't mean that in a a, a, a um, in a bad way it's but it's very interesting now we start out he 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 says it goes black. And then he kind of is standing above his body, and he hears the voice. And the voice is saying, hurry, we got to go. Um, and he turns around and he sees this little uh, angel um, who's wearing a crown, which is, you know, also um, related to a halo. That, that kind of symbolism uh, bleeds over. And... Um, she says we we have to go and and so that's just that this, the beginning of that story just reminds me of how many um how many uh, stories and movies and and all these d- different mediums of storytelling that we um consume that's a very common element of the kind of something uh or we have our pro- protagonist and then out of nowhere a divine figure or um a special figure um comes out of nowhere and says hurry come with me that's that's something we see all the time the, the one that's coming to mind for me right now um is the uh in Harry Potter with when Harry Potter finds out he's a wizard and Hagrid the the big giant comes in and says we got to go um, but you you see this this motif pop up time and time again and it's just very interesting that that we we start off this this near death experience with a kind of a dramatic uh story element that that we we see you know throughout our various cultures um so i thought that was very interesting and then obviously what what leads from that is he he says why why do we have to go and we have the uh Introduction of the the evil characters in this kind of drama, um, and it's he he describes them in a very interesting way that they're kind of like uh, rotating around each other, like a tornado, kind of like they're they're circling around each other, and I um I think that's a very interesting image. It could be, almost be like something like how how our negative feelings tend to produce a feedback loop where the worse you feel from whatever pain or suffering you're you're going through it makes you you know make poor decisions and make you feel even worse and worse and worse a spiraling kind of depression or or um we we use that to describe people who get into these these awful kind of situations and and awful mental states that they kind of spiral downward, and so I thought that the way he described it um, was very interesting. And I also, one thing that I, I um, that was thought provoking, is how he, how he characterized each of the kind of, uh, I don't know, demons, uh, spirits, evil spirits, as one being. Uh, they 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 each represented, um, you know, some different part of of, uh, evil or, or suffering or, or badness. Um, however you want to, to describe it. Like one was pain and suffering. Another one was loss and despair. And the third one was evil. And then he, he, he also, um, kind of indicated that he had the sense that these three demon things were sent by a dark force or Satan um, to retrieve his soul. And so um, at the very outset we have um, this the beginning of this this kind of story, this narrative where they have to escape and so he grabs onto his guardian angels, consciences, souls, whatever you want to call her, the angel's hand and is taken. Um, to what he describes as heaven. And through that, uh, that journey, he describes the process of going through a tunnel, um, which he says is formed from the speed of the planets and stars going past him. Um, and, of course, the tunnel being one of the major recurring elements of near-death experiences going through a tunnel uh and he also um kind of emphasizes that he um there's a certain barrier that the threshold i think he says that that they cross to which they're in heaven um and then uh we kind of have a a pearly gate scenario you know something that that has definitely entered the um the cultural mind um he is uh, the angel has to leave, which kind of makes him feel kind of alone. And he uh, sees two people with a, a book. Um, this is, uh, well, I guess the best way to describe it is, is the Book of Life. Um, that is an image that we get um, in uh, particularly Judeo-Christian um, religion. Uh, the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, and, and other uh, apocryphal texts, uh, the book of God, or the the book of life in which God writes the names of the righteous, of those who will join him in heaven, and to be removed from the book of life is, is uh, you know, to be damned, essentially. And while it's not Specifically referred to as the Book of Life, that's kind of the same idea. So that's kind of an interesting parallel that we have with with uh, aspects of other religious traditions is this book in which um, his name is ri- written. Um, that's something that we also saw in some of the um, the uh, near-death experiences from Thailand that um, I read a few episodes back. Um and also another as uh, another uh, comparison i guess i can make with that episode is that uh it's kind of a a case of mistaken identity like um he the i guess the heavenly being tells him oh you're not supposed to be here and it kind of <laughs> freaks him out cuz he's like oh, oh wh- where where am i supposed to be cuz i'm here now you know, am I supposed to be in hell or something? And he's like, No, no, no. You're, you're, you're not supposed to be here yet. Um, and then uh, to sort out what that means, um, he is he's taken to to God to figure out what what they're supposed to do with them. Although I should mention before before we get to God <laughs> um, that he He has a very interesting description of the communication process that they he is using in this other realm. Um, he says that it's it's kind of instantaneous, and each word or concept has an immediate image that comes to mind um and so it's very fluid um and he says that they would take hundreds of words to to capture the same meaning um that you know they were able to. To get through like that. Um, he also mentions that they're, they're of the heavenly beings, so to speak, are of one mind. Um, there's, there's no disagreement between them, which is kind of interesting that there's um, that as an aspect of this heavenly realm, that there's no, um, no existence or being that is disharmonious with, with the rest. Um, and if we think of that as being, uh, disharmony as being a hallmark of our physical world, then it kind of sets up a very interesting contrast to, um, um, to everything that we experience on, uh, in this world, uh, kind of a, it's it's kind of like the, the opposite of, of our, our, uh, daily lives, especially nowadays, (laughs) but, um. Uh, this kind of realm where there's absolutely no disagreement because it seems like there's um, complete transparency through this mode of communication where there's no misunderstandings. Um, and that's that's something that we, we see in other near-death experiences as well, that they often make reference to the fact that there's uh, this kind of instantaneous telepathic way of communicating, uh, which... Words cannot capture, and that—that's another aspect that we've discussed be, before. That um, they're very often you just don't have the words to describe what you went through in a near-death experience. Um, and so then he is—he's taken to God to see God, and he describes God as a a man sitting Indian style. Um, and uh, I, I found this whole. This whole part of the story very interesting because he's, um, well, for many reasons. First, first the the thing that stuck out to me the most was that he he is meeting a a personal god, a uh, a god in human form, um, and which is something we we haven't r- really seen very much in in um, the uh, near death experiences that I've read so far, and and also in other ones that I. Haven't read on the podcast. It's pretty rare to see God as um, a man, I guess. Um, usually, there's some kind of divine being like Christ or, or Buddha or or some kind of um, incarnation of of God. Um, whereas, uh, and and God is usually some kind of light or threshold or or great presence. But to see a a Personal incarnated humanized God um, is pretty interesting and unique. Um, for instance, we we referenced Jeffrey's near death experience, and towards the end of that story, he was he asked uh, Jesus to be able to see God, and he is granted uh, uh, the chance to see God in a symbolic form, and it is a uh, an eye with images floating, uh, circling around it, and it's kind of this, he says that, that that was the only form that he could understand it in. And that was um, something we saw in, in one of the um, near-death experiences from Thailand as well, that um, one of the experiencers was was only able to be shown God, and he he wasn't ready to be able to see God or something like that. He um, He couldn't um i don't know he wasn't pure enough to to be able to see the form of god and yet in this um in william's near death experience we, he is able not only to able to see god but talk to god and and god you know says some pretty fascinating things like oh you you humans um are are so funny that you you can't you think you can't look at me um where you know we have many stories throughout throughout our history and various cultures that to see god is a kind of uh both awe-inspiring and terrifying uh (laughs) uh you know experience um you can think of uh well i'll just read this this little passage um from exodus in the old testament Um, between Moses and God. Um, And uh, God is kind of... uh, Moses wants to see the full glory of God, and God is kind of laying down some limitations here. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said... I bring that up in reference to what God tells William, that, oh, you humans think that you can't see me, see my face. Um, He also goes on to say uh, that uh, the Bible and our different religious texts are incomplete, but the best we have at the moment, and so we'll have to make do with them. Um, So I found that very interesting that we have this, I don't know, uh... A development of God, a a humanized God, and that's something that I've been been interested in uh, since reading uh, Jung's answer to Job. Is the the idea that as we uh, have encountered God throughout various spiritual experiences throughout history and all the various religions, that um, not only are are we affected by a encounter with the divine. But perhaps the divine is affected by uh, an encounter with us, and uh, here we we clearly have a fully human, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, loving and and embracing and and personal God uh, that appears in the story, which, like I said, is very different from many different, uh, <laughs> very different from other. Near-death experience stories that we've read so far, where, where God is kind of more, I don't know, diffuse and spread out and a little more abstract. Here, He is fully embodied and incarnated, and um, uh, a a giant of some kind. He uh, William describes him as about ten feet tall, um, and that kind of harkens back to all the different stories we have of of giants and and their meaning of of being um kind of beyond human um like more more than human uh, and that's something that certainly comes across in the story with all the different uh superlatives that william uses to describe god um he well he describes god's hands specifically um let me see if i can read him uh uh, he describes his hands as the largest, strongest, and toughest, yet the softest, warmest, and gentlest. So not only do we have an obvious kind of um, reference to the fact that the God, God is the most of everything, the highest superlative possible, even in just his hands. He's the toughest and the strongest and the softest. We also have this uh, kind of... Um, uh, tension of opposites in even just the way he describes God's hands, um, being both tough and gentle, which, you know, kind of, we can see echoes of this throughout, you know, theological thoughts on on the kind of right and left hand of God being, uh, one being justice and the other being mercy. We Here we have a a kind of uh Allusion to that, in that his hands are both the toughest and the gentlest, which is kind of an interesting because you know, um, in these stories and dreams and visions and et cetera, you often see a conjunction of opposites uh, representing totality um, and wholeness, and here we have the same thing. Um, and another another thing I I thought was interesting that I couldn't quite wrap my head around, which you know, fair enough, (laughs) these are pretty mind-bending experiences, but um, he, William mentions that God calls, says, oh, you humans, Um, and yet God is appearing in a human form, Um, and so I don't know whether that is kind of a, just an artifact of this, whatever uh, language that that uh, William was communicating in, in this realm, that, that God would specify, oh, you humans, and yet God is in a human form or just a, um, it's just a a reminder of the, the difference between the incarnate physical humans and, and the divine in in this realm. But I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. And so, and then uh, we have the life review um, kind of section of the story, which uh, as you all are well aware of by now, is a very common feature in near-death experiences, um, going through one's life and looking at the different deeds um, and actions that you've done and kind of weighing up how they affected people. And and this one, you know, usually that's done kind of somewhat impersonally, like uh, among a group of people and, and you are... Um, Life kind of plays out in a movie form or so, something like that, but here we have God placing His hands upon upon William and and going through each of these deeds with him, um, and so it's it's very intimate, it's very close, and and I I, re, I was really struck by that. I, I thought that was very cool, and um, God you know goes through each one with him and kind of says, okay, well you 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 are good, you know you've you've tr- there have been times where maybe you did good things just to try and get something, and you've done bad things without thinking about well what it would happen, and uh, times where you've done bad things that you've tried to make right, and so um, God goes through His life with him, which I thought was very cool. And then, and then we have a glimpse of the future, kind of a premonition of of this is what's going to happen, um, uh, and the reason He is shown the future is because God explains that He has to go back to earth right um something we we often see in near-death experiences obviously or we wouldn't have them if if they never came back um but uh he's he's told that uh william has a part to play in god's plan and he kind of we're given this um kind of description that okay well you can stay here but if you do then i'm gonna have to change a whole bunch of other stuff to make sure my plan works and that's that's it's a very interesting idea that comes up quite a bit in, uh, in other near-death experiences. This idea that um, there's kind of a plan or a mission or something that must be done. And that's why we are here. Um, each individual has some role to play, some karma to, to work out um, in order to make something happen. And, and we do get this idea that uh, even though we, we have free will, we can make the choice there is this plan that's going to happen anyway so it's kind of this weird again we have a kind of conjunction of of opposites together we have both a fixed plan and also free will to let it unfold how um, in a thousand million different ways Um, depending on our choices that we have this plan of gods and we each have a role and each of our choices contributes to it, and it's not something we can really understand, which, which he is told. And it actually seems like through the story he understands what at least parts of God's plan, but he has uh, memory taken away from him as he's leaving, which is another thing that we, we hear a lot in near-death experiences. Um, and so he's given a glimpse of his future. He's being pushed around in a wheelchair by his son. Uh, and his wife has left him, and then we get to something that was very and another kind of uh, I don't know story element that that we can talk about it, and that is um, he he bargains with God, he he makes a deal with God, um, and this what this reminded me of uh, was um, the uh, the story of um, Sodom and Gomorrah and uh abraham bargaining with god to to try and save the city uh saying if i can find you know 10 good people will you spare the city and and he keeps he's kind of uh, bargaining with the divine in order to save uh as many people as he can um which i thought was very interesting because it's it it it, it shows that we as human beings, at least in the story in the context of the story, have a a value to the divine. It's not an autocracy autocracy. It's not uh, a, a tyranny. we we have a say in 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 kind of our future and and that gets back to that idea of we do have the free will. we have the the choice to um, unfold um, our lives uh, in a way that we want and and he is able to um make a deal with God that when he um goes back he won't be paralyzed he will um uh God will heal his neck so his and He it's it's very kind of touching the way he he makes this argument he's he's saying it's not for me you know uh it's for my son cuz I don't want my son to have to take care of me when, when he doesn't even have his mother there so um God agrees and then he's taken back and another and then and then he's kind of instantly taken back to his body, and he kind of he he points out that um god it was much quicker than the journey there and and that you know I thought that was very interesting because the the journey there specifically kind of emphasized that whole process of going from earth to to heaven emphasized. Uh, the travel and and the um, it, the journey through the stars and planets and the universe to some kind of beyond place, um, and I, I kind of I think it's fair to let let near death experiences be their own interpretation, be their own kind of um, their own statement. Um, of of kind of fact in a way, um, and what do I mean by that? Uh, I think it's important to to think about near-death experiences as being purposive or purpose <laughs> having a purpose. Let's let's go with that. And and by having a purpose, I mean they show the experiencer what the experiencer needs to see. It's kind of like, maybe like a dream in that regard, if you want to think about dreams in that way, that they show, they, they are exactly what they are, and they show exactly what they need to show. Um, and, and the fact that it showed this journey, when it, you know, he could have instantly been, been brought to heaven, that's how he, he got back, um, I think that we can take that as as the experience, trying to give some indication of of the nature of the divine, or, or something that it's it's beyond our universe, that um, beyond our physical plane, because it, it clearly emphasizes that um, in in the journey from you know the earthly realm to the to heaven, um, and so I thought that was very interesting that. It, uh, the way we can look at it as as being exactly a near-death experience is exactly what someone needs to see and that the fact that that was emphasized as I said um, can give us some idea of, of or at least give William some of, idea of of maybe the nature of of the divine as, as a place beyond our universe which is what it seems to be suggesting um, and so um, well, I guess to go along with that, I, I, I think that the way we can look at it is almost as a something natural. And I know that's, that's kind of a weird thing to describe this experience because most of the time we think of it as being beyond nature or supernatural, but natural in the sense that it's, it's not like uh William is making this up. He he has no control in, in what's going on. Um you know, he is along for the ride, so to speak, like literally from the get go. Everything is happening and, and we, we can say that for almost all near death experiences, that there's very little uh, I don't know, say that the the individual has and in and where he goes and and you know there are exceptions, but uh, for the most part, these this this story, this uh, process is is acting itself out, and and we the individuals who are at the point of death uh, are along for the ride. And so, the the reason I use the word natural is is it's kind of its own process, and and there's no uh, human interference in in what goes on and yet at the same time we do it does seem that we we kind of shape and populate the experience with with images and forms that we have collected throughout our lives and our religious beliefs and our our stories and and um spiritual practices and and all that that you know as we've kind of seen um looking at the Thai near-death experiences that those are very uh, kind of particular to this culture and uh, to the the Thai culture and w- whereas some of the more western um uh, uh, uh english speaking near death experiences are much more kind of christian based and so um while at the same time not being exclusively christian and and you know we have god in this story quite explicitly saying you know the bible's not <laughs> it's not uh not quite right, but it's the best you got. So, um, so I think I, I really like that approach of looking at the experience as it is. It, you know, it is what it is. It's you know, we can be skeptical of of everyone's I don't know motivations and stuff. But at the end of the day, if if I'm skeptical of everyone's story, then there's no point in reading them because these are the ultimate subjective experience. There's there's no way that I could verify this or or anybody could, except for William um, although uh, he does mention the uh, uh, when he comes back and his neck is healed uh, that the x-rays showed uh, the the x-rays they took of his broken neck were kind of whited out. We'll get there in, in a minute though, so he <laughs> he comes back um and God's about to peace out uh and leave him there and he's like wait you haven't fixed my neck and so god places his hand on uh william's neck and he is able to heal him although it's not completely healed um and and william's kind of like hey what's what's up with that i thought you're going to heal my neck completely there's still something going on and god's like that's to serve as a reminder of of your experience um and here is Yet another kind of um, mythological motif, if you uh, a story kind of element that we see in other uh, other stories throughout the world, the um, kind of wounding that happens in an encounter with the divine. Now, this is it's quite it's kind of different because he's he's actually wounded, and and the divine o- God only heals him so far. But it's this idea of having a reminder of. Of your encounter, um, uh, just off the top of my head, what, what comes to mind is the uh, story of Jacob um, wrestling the angel, wrestling God, uh, and gaining the name Israel, which which means to wrestle with God, which is quite a beautiful name. Um, in this wrestling match with the angel, uh, Jacob is is wounded, and he I think he has a limp. And he has that the rest of his life to remind him of this encounter with God. Um, another, uh, what's another one? Well, the uh, fight in, in Egyptian mythology, the fight between uh, Horus and Set, um, Horus is gravely injured and loses an eye. And so he, the eye of Horus becomes this whole symbol um, but here we have another example of this, this kind of wounding of, of when we encounter the divine, this, the, this, I don't know, uh, overwhelming, um, all encompassing principle, like we, we kind of went through with Moses, um, there's, there's, uh, this threat of danger and, and, and a physical injury, um, and that's why Moses can only see God's back. Um, and so, yeah, even though in this story God is quite inviting, welcoming, um, personal, intimate, um, we still have this element of you're going to keep uh, a little bit of pain and suffering to remember me by, um, which I thought was very very interesting. Um, and so... Uh, after this near death experience after the story uh ends um on this website nderf.org, there's always a list of questions um that the um experiencer can can uh, add some extra info and stuff so um in this one there was an email exchange between the um the uh owner of the website and william and he was asking about um those x-rays that that um uh, William had done, um, whether he could go back and find him. And he said, unfortunately, they they didn't keep the records and stuff because um, that would be some kind of physical corroboration of of this weird anomaly. We were talking about after effects of near-death experiences in the last episode, this weird kind of physical effect of, um, according to William's account, that the x-rays the doctors took of his neck where he had been healed by God, but not completely, um, was uh kind of blotted out. It was kind of whited out and they couldn't see what was going on. So that was you know, that was kind of a cool aspect. I wish I wish he could have obtained obtained those, but you know, that's how it goes. Um so we we do, we don't have that um possibility of of corroborating that, but it still makes an excellent story nonetheless. Um, And, um, well, so what I've been trying to emphasize is all these different story elements that we see in other uh, mythologies and narratives, um, you know, cross-culturally. It's a very human thing. And, And the reason I'm doing that is not to diminish... William's story. Um, it is to uh, what it, what it suggests to me is that these 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 pieces of our stories, these these elements, these motifs, this grammar that we use to build our stories, is not made up. It's not uh, created, but Perhaps it's experienced. If if there are elements of, of common narrative structures that are present in the uh, stories or the experiences people have at the moment of death, then that means it is pretty deeply ingrained and deeply, I don't know, true within us that, um, that an experience such as this takes on these narrative elements probably means that our stories that express these narrative elements have um, some kind of uh, resonance with with something beyond us. Um, now that that might be speculation, and and that's you know fair enough. But I I found that very very interesting because it's. You know It's hard to make a good story that, that will last thousands and thousands of years unless it's got something to it. And the stories we tell ourselves are extremely important. If you don't have a story, you're not living. Um, and so I, I find the fact that there are these these motifs and, and elements in, in, in William's experience i find that very compelling and very true um and i thought his experience was very beautiful and, and like i said it had this wonderful arc where he he goes and and um escapes evil and has an encounter with god and comes back um you know reborn in a way um and another thing that while I'm trying to remember, I, I think there's kind of even at the outset of the story, there's this kind of this balance um, that we can see throughout the as the story kind of unfolds his experience, um, where we have these three demons, so to speak, coming for him, and a fourth Satan who's directing them, and then. So we we have these four evil beings, so to speak, and then we have the angel, the two guys at the podium, and God um, forming another four representing kind of a good. and And here again, we have this this balance, um, this balance of opposites and and four is a very important number, uh, symbolically representing kind of a totality. So So again, we have this balance between the opposites, which is is very interesting um, and, and very compelling in a, in any kind of story. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd loved reading this and, and you know, I, I thought it was, it, was, it was very interesting and, and I hope that, um, by talking about it, 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 uh, you found it enjoyable too. So, um, I will end there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at samreedsneardeathexperiences at gmail.com. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, on Spotify. Uh, we got some up on YouTube. I'll keep working on that. Um, and if you want to follow me along in my daily life, you can do so at, uh, on, it, on Instagram at Timberline. Um, and please, uh, please leave a five star review on iTunes if, if you like this podcast and share it with with uh, friends and loved ones, um, because that just helps get the word out there. And, and thank you to those who, who have done that so far. That really means a lot to me. Um, and yeah, so I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up and finish off with a quote on death. Okay, so this uh, quote today is coming from the Gnostic uh, Gospel of Thomas. Um, It is a kind of um, apocryphal uh, gospel, which was not included in the Bible, but is still Christian. And it is uh, a collection of uh, quotes of Jesus. Um, And I, I really like this one, so I will end with this. Jesus says, The one who seeks should not cease seeking until he finds. And when he finds, he will be dismayed. And when he is dismayed, he will be astonished. And he will be king over the all.